So uh, I want to ask you a question, whether you're at the Kennedy campus or the UD campus. I want to ask you one question. Here's the question. How would you rate your faith? On, on a scale, scale of 1 to 10, your faith, how would you rate it? 10 being off the, off the charts, 1 being... Yeah, you have to help me with that because I'm not sure if I have any faith at all. Where are you at? Uh, 1 to 10. How would you rate yourself? I think that's uh, when we t- and we're gonna, what we're going to talk about is what is life-saving faith because I think there's some confusion out there as to what faith is. And I think some of us have a, an idea and we're sometimes confused. And my, my goal is that as we leave this place, uh, as we think about what we reflect upon in the Scripture this weekend, we'll have a better understanding of what real life-saving faith is and that we'll understand what it means as we begin to grow in our faith. And so that's kind of where we want to go. And what we're doing in this series is we're moving through the Gospel of John because John says something very interesting. He says, there were a whole other bunch of miracles or signs that Jesus performed. I'm not including all of them, but I'm including some of them. And the reason I'm including them is so that you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Savior, and that by believing you might have life through his name. In other words, John is saying, my hope is you'll read the Gospel of John and that you'll see who Jesus is and why he came. And you'll understand he came for one reason, to save you from your sins, and that you'll believe you'll trust in him. And as you trust in him, you'll find not only life forever eternal life but you'll find life here and now that's essentially why he writes his gospel so last weekend we looked at the first sign which were jesus was at a wedding feast and he turned the water into wine and this this is the same uh city the city of canaan and uh cana and he's going to heal someone and so that's kind of where we're at uh, today. So uh, John chapter 4, I want to read verse 46 through 54, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens here. John chapter 4, verse 46 says this, and this is speaking of Jesus. As he traveled through, Can- uh, through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in, in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, Go back home, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming uh, from Judea. So what are some traits of saving faith? Because I think there's some misunderstanding out there. I think some people think that it's some sort of a gift. It's uh, Faith uh, is some sort of a gift or a special talent. Um, 
It's something to be achieved. But we're going to see that life-giving faith is something that is available to all of us. It's, it's not limited to the, the spiritual elite. It's available to all of us. And there's a number of traits that we learn from this, uh, this uh, account uh, in John's Gospel where he, he gives the sign, the sign of the healing of this uh, government official's son. The first one is this. Life-giving, saving faith is rational. So what's going on here geographically? Jesus is, uh, has traveled from the southern region of Judah north to the region of Galilee. Galilee is where Jesus would and his disciples would have been on the Sea of Galilee where they would do all the fishing and they would be out on the boats and stuff like that. So he once again comes to the city of Cana where he was at a wedding and he turned the water into wine. Cana is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is where, you know, like I said, he turned the water into wine. A government official comes from Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was about eight miles away. And it was a little bit, uh, would have been a little bit west and a little bit south of Canaan. He comes about eight miles and he pleads for the life of his little boy. And any father would do that. And so the question is, why did this man think that Jesus could heal his son? What, what, what? happened and, and and so here's what's going on again john's not telling us you know he's not giving us a a, a blow by blow day by day week by week a historical account of everything that jesus does in fact he's taking some events and he's moving them back and forth chronologically <clears throat> but so so what we we know here is this man has heard stories about jesus his popularity is growing people are understanding that jesus can perform miracles and so, obviously, this man says, I've got to find the magic man. I've got to find this man, and I've got to see if he can heal my son. That's kind of where he's at. So, the point I want you to see is, uh, word had probably traveled throughout the whole region that Jesus could perform miracles. And so, people are coming from all over because they want either Jesus to perform a miracle for them, or they want to watch it. They want to be there, and they want to see it. And so this man's faith journey began with information. He heard what Jesus could do, and he decided to act upon the information that he had heard up to that point. Okay? So uh, he could have rejected that. He could have blown it off. But he acted upon the information, and he came, and he began to beg Jesus. He basically said, "This is you're my only hope. You, you are the only one that can heal my son. I, I just need you to do that. So some people say faith is irrational. They say anybody who, who believes it has faith, they're irrational. But this man wasn't irrational. Uh, the Bible shows us that faith is based, based upon fact. It's based upon information uh, and data. Faith uh, f- for this man was very rational. Now, here's the application. It's very important for us to hear this. God has given us plenty of data. He's given us plenty of of information about him to believe, to trust. People say, well, you believe in God. You believe in an invisible God that you can't see and you can't, you can't touch and you can't experience. Uh, you, your faith is irrational. And I would say, no, it's not irrational. There's, there's, plenty, of, there's plenty of data. Uh, the Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament, His hand, His work. Right? 
And basically what the psalmist is saying there is when you look at the skies, when you look at the sunrise and the sunset, when you just look at nature, when you look at the beauty of creation, you say there must be an artist behind it. Now, you could say it started with a big bang. doesn't really matter. Bottom line is what happened before the big bang. Science can't tell you that. They can tell you there was a big bang, but they, I mean, if there was a big bang, they can tell you there was a big bang, but they can't tell you what made the big bang, who lit the fuse, right? Who set it into motion, right? So that's just one. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says, the power and the artistry and the, the there's a divinity that, that is revealed by God to man. In other words, we, there are signs, there are fingerprints of our Creator all over creation. Uh, but what man does is he doesn't just say, oh, look, there's a, there's a sign of God, there's a sign of God. He rejects it and he suppresses it. That's what Romans 1 says, Paul says. It says it's very evident that God is alive, that there is a God, that there is... So, so there is data. We have the Bible, right? We have the Bible. Uh, there are Bibles in your chairs, right? And you say, well, uh, people, the skeptics would say, well, I reject the Bible. That's fine. You can reject the Bible. But don't say it's not based upon data. It's just data that you don't like. You don't like the idea that there might be a creator behind creation. You don't like the idea that, that God has given us His Word and that we can hear about who God is and who Jesus is and why He came and God's plan for the universe. You can reject all of that. But you're not, it's not irrational. It's not irrational. There's a whole bunch of data. Uh, so, sometimes people say, faith is, not ir- is irrational. Well, it's not irrational. Just any, not any more than this man. Now, you could say to this man, you could say, oh, it's ridiculous. Are you even going to go talk to Jesus? Why would you even talk to Him? Why would you even believe that? Well, He did. But it was based upon words and reports that He got about Jesus. So, it wasn't based upon, it wasn't irrational. It was very rational. Here's somebody who's performing miracles and he's thinking, maybe Jesus could heal my son. So the the first point is, faith is not irrational. Secondly, life-giving, saving faith trusts. You know, it's one thing to have an intellectual belief uh, in someone or something, but that's not not the same as having uh, life-saving faith. To many people, um, to this desperate father, Jesus was really just a magic man. He, you know, and, and his faith was quite limited. He had a limited knowledge of Jesus. He was only operating in what he knew. Uh, when he made his request to Jesus, uh, and, and it's interesting because he says to Jesus, here's what he says. He says, Jesus, would you come with me? Would you come with me so that you can heal my son? And essentially what he believed was he needed to have Jesus there. Jesus' power was limited. He needed Jesus to touch the son or do something to the son to heal the son. So he was, you know, the common belief there was if you, if you, you had powers and abilities, you had to travel with and, and do that. So that's his request. So it's really quite a miracle because Jesus is breaking the mold on that. And he's saying, I'm not even going to come with you. Your son is healed. So there's another level of faith where the man has to believe not only he's coming to Jesus, who he's heard stories of it, but also now Jesus is saying, and I'm not going to come with you. You're just going to have to trust me that when you get back, your son is going to be well. Now, here's another thing. As we think about this story, it's very interesting because Jesus was not just interested in healing this man's son. He was, healing, he was interested in much more. Um, 
it's interesting because he says to the he says to the man he says when the man comes to him with this request and jesus unless you see signs and wonders you won't believe now it's interesting because in the in the in the original greek you see that he's talking to the man but he's not just talking to the man he's talking to the people because he uses you, you know, the southern y'all. <laughs> he says, you know, you all want signs and wonders. You, you all want to see that. Well, he's not just talking to the man. He's talking to the crowds. And, and see, here's the difference between the man's faith and the crowds. The man basically acted upon Jesus' words. The crowd basically just wanted to see a show. They wanted to see the signs and the wonders. And see, here's the thing. Saving faith, real life faith, basically acts upon the facts and takes steps. And, and the, the rest of the crowd did nothing. And for the most part, were just there to watch the signs and the wonders. This is the man who took the steps, who saw the miracle. And the, the point I want you to see is Jesus wasn't just interested in healing a man's son. He sought to heal their souls. Because he knew that even if he healed the, the, this, this, boy's, this boy from death and, and healed this man's son, that one day this, this boy was going to die anyways. So he was looking for something more. He was looking for this man and this son to believe in him, in him as Savior, because one day they would all die and one day they would all ha- have to deal with death, right? And so it's interesting. How does the story end? Not only does the man believe, but his whole family believed, right? And that's what Jesus was after. See, uh, Jesus was after their souls. Jesus was moving the man uh, to move to life-giving, saving faith. So the man took Jesus at his word. He returned to his son. Now, many Christians today have a, a fairly nominal faith. They believe in Jesus. They believe He is God. They believe He is Savior. They generally uh, understand the gospel, but they don't yet possess saving faith. You've heard this illustration before. Many of you have. <coughs> but I'll tell it to you again because I think it just gives such a great illustration of what saving faith is. Uh, in 1859, uh, Charles Blondin crossed Niagara Falls. Now, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you would realize to take a rope... Well, you, uh, you, what was the, the evil Knievel's son basically walked across the, that, and you watched that, and you said, you're out of your mind. And, and he absolutely is out of his mind to do that. Uh, but Charles Blondin did it in 1859, and he put a... a, a he put a rope. It was 1,100 uh, feet. Uh, the tightrope was three and a quarter inches, 160 feet above the, the raging Niagara River. Now, if you've ever seen uh, the Niagara Falls from either the Canadian or the American side, and I used to live in that area, and when we moved out here, I stopped, we stopped at Niagara Falls because we handed off the moving truck for the people who were coming from here, and they drove the moving truck. We met at Niagara Falls because Tom Keeper wanted to see Niagara Falls. We said, okay. Um, interestingly enough, if you've ever seen it, it is unbelievable. I mean, it's just like to think a guy would put a rope across there, uh, three and a quarter inches, and he would walk across that on a tightrope. You'd say, you're out of your mind. You are absolutely crazy. And he, but he did. He did. It wasn't, and he didn't just cross it. He did it blindfolded. He did it in a sack. He pushed a wheelbarrow. He did it on stilts. How many of you can walk on stilts just on the ground? Let a load a tightrope, 160 feet over a raging river, um, 
bouncing around probably, he one time took a chair, stood it on one leg, and got on the chair in the middle of the rope. Wait, what's wrong with this man? Right? Now, I, I wanted to make sure this was true. So they have a historical uh, person there on site. And I found him and I said, hey, I heard these stories. And he says, oh yeah, this is t- absolutely true. He showed me paper clip, uh, clips, clippings from the New York Times where this guy did this. One time, he sat down uh, and he cooked an omelet halfway out. I'm thinking, this is creative. <laughs> I have no idea why he would do that. But he one time came to a place where he had done a bunch of this, and there was obviously a big crowd of people. And he said, how many people believe that uh, not only that I can cross over this, but I can, I can carry somebody on my shoulders? And, you know, just about everybody in the crowd seeing what he... I mean, if you can balance chair, if you can walk on stilts, if you can push a wheelbarrow, and, it, of course, getting somebody on your back and carrying... Of course I believe you can do that. So just about everybody raised their hands. He said, all right, who, who, who's going to get on my back? Right? One man did. And it was his manager. And he got on his back. So we would say there was only one person in that audience who truly had faith. Charles Blondin. Right? There's a whole crowd of people said, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. It's a saving faith, life-giving faith. Is They all believed, but only one believed. Right? They all believed, but only one believed. And so the question is, where, where is your trust today? What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in today? Where is your faith? Where are you placing your faith? You say you believe, but are you willing to get on His back? Are you willing to call Him Savior? The third thing about life-giving, saving faith is it grows. In our passage, uh, the father realized that his son was healed the moment that he spoke with Jesus. Now, he would have never experienced this if Jesus had gone with him. If Jesus had said, yeah, let's go, and and sometimes he did do that. Sometimes Jesus would go with a person. Uh, (coughs) In fact, one time he does, and a Syrophoenician woman is healed uh, by just touching him. And, and there's this whole delay and all this other stuff. But this time, Jesus doesn't go with him. So can you imagine the father? What, what was going through his head? What a fool I am. Why did, why did I think that, you know, did he have time? Did, did, did he have growth? Did he, did he, was he, what was he thinking? You know, sometimes God uses these difficult times when we are uh, struggling. And he makes us go through, and when I say makes, you understand what I mean. He allows us to go through difficult times. And it's for our growth. It's for our good. James talks about that in chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. How many of you have ever done that? Uh, I don't generally think of trials and tribulations as a way to have joy. I, I find them tedious, awkward, terrible, troublesome, not wanting them, don't pray for them, don't give me them, leave me alone. Uh, and he says this, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And so what James is saying is very interesting is trials and tribulations are opportunities for us to grow in our faith. Now, 
It doesn't mean just because you go through a trial that you will grow. It means it's an opportunity for you to grow. This man was going through a trial. And he he was given an opportunity by Jesus to allow his faith to grow. Uh, This man, how much easier would it have been if Jesus had just gone with him? Held his hand and walked with him, said, hey, it'll be all right, don't worry. We'll take care of this. I've done this before. You know, I'm going to do bigger ones than this. You haven't seen anything yet, right? Uh, But the father must have had doubts. He must have been struggling in his faith. He probably uh, uh, worried for his son. He may have wondered if Jesus was able to even heal the boy. He was walking in the wilderness of doubt. His faith wasn't perfect, but he was walking in faith. And that's an important thing to understand. It's not perfect faith we're talking about. It's engaging faith. It's active faith. Jesus pushed this man to exercise his little faith. And when the man heard from the servants, his son was healed. And the timing of it, the moment that he had been talking with Jesus, his faith took a leap of growth at that point. But he would never have had that opportunity had Jesus gone with him. You may be in the middle of a trial right now. You may feel like God has deserted you right now. And I just want to tell you that He has not deserted you. He is with you. And He he wants you to use this as an opportunity for your faith to grow. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? Jesus still pushes us in our faith growth today, often through trials. Here's the next thing we learn. Life-giving, saving faith is well-placed. Notice the Father is not claiming a miracle. He's not proclaiming His Son's healing in advance without waiver. We're told by people today that uh, in some circles that you need to claim the miracle without any hint of doubt. But over and over in the Scriptures, we see ordinary people who have doubts, questions and concern, being healed, being set free, and being forgiven. You know, and, and, and we hear from people that, oh, you haven't been healed because you failed, you didn't believe, you didn't you wavered, you didn't trust. And what I see is often, I love the statement in Scripture where Jesus is talking to the one man and uh, the father, uh, the, the, the man says to him, I believe. But help my unbelief. <laughs> I love that statement because he's saying, I'm trying, but I'm struggling. <laughs> and, and you know what? Uh, I think Jesus is okay if, if, as long as we're trying, as long as we're, you know, faith is a struggle. You see, here's the important thing to understand. It's, we are often told by some today that you have to believe. You have to name it. You have to claim it. You have to believe it. You, without wavering, you can show no doubt at all. If you show any doubt, it's almost like it turns into a magical formula. And by the way, many times you have to go to a certain person to be healed, and they have to do certain things to you. And, and that, you know, Scripture just blows that away with the story. This story is, Jesus just said, go back, he'll be healed. That's it. I don't have to come. I don't have to touch him. I don't have to do anything. You just go, you believe. And the man did, and he was healed. Here's the thing I want you to see. It's not how much faith you have. It's where you place your faith. It's not how much faith you have. It's where you place your faith. Oftentimes we think, my faith... Maybe when I ask you that first question, you thought, my, I have faith, but it's not as robust. It's not as strong. It's not as big as it needs to be. And I just want to say, you may be right, but here's the, here's the most important thing. The most important thing is that you believe in the right person or thing, right? For instance, if you place your sincere faith in a pilot who is yet to safely land an airplane, and you get on that airplane, you're probably going to die. 
I don't care how much faith you have, he's not able to land a plane. He just keeps crashing the plane. In fact, the fact that he's still alive is a, is, a, is a little bit of a miracle. So if you get on a plane knowing that this guy has never successfully landed a plane, chances are, it doesn't matter how much faith you have, you're a dead person. Okay? But if you get on a plane and you're really nervous about takeoffs and especially landings, but the pilot you're with has a stellar career. He has fought, he, he flew in the military. He's flown for 30 years. He can land a plane with his eyes closed. He is absolutely one of the best pilots in ever. In whatever situation comes up, he's ever able to control that. Chances are, if you, even if you have just a smidgen of faith, if you put it in that guy, that woman, whoever it is, the pilot, you're going to be all right. Because it's not how much faith you have, it's where you place your faith. It's where you place it. It's where you place it. Last, life-giving, saving faith loves Jesus for himself. Uh, that was one of the struggles that Jesus was having uh, that day when the Father came to him. Uh, the crowds were loving Jesus for what they could get from him. Even the Father came to Jesus for what he could get. That He was saying, I need you to do something for me. Uh, have you had a relationship like that where it's kind of one-sided and every time this person comes to you, you know they want something? It's a one-sided relationship. It's not a two-sided. It's not a give and take. It's a take, take, take. And, and, and all they do is they want this, they want that, and they need this, and they need that. And um, Jesus kind of commented on that. And he says, you know, the only reason you're following me is because you want, to, you want to see or you want to receive signs and wonders. You just you don't want me for me. You want me for what I can do. And that's, that's not a great reason to want to be with me. I'm going to think about that. If you've ever been used by somebody, they don't really want you. They want something you can do for them. How does that make you feel? So the question I want to ask you this weekend is this. Whether you're here at the Kennedy campus, whether you're at the UD campus, do you love him for him or for what he can do for you? Do you love him for him or for what he can do for you? You know, the richest relationships you have on this planet are the ones that you have where you say, I just love you for you. I don't need you to do anything for me. I don't want anything from you. I just love you. And frankly, as a parent, one of the greatest things for your kids to do is to affirm you as a parent and say, you know what, I love you for you. I don't love you because you're doing this or because you're done. Maybe they'll appreciate that someday. That's, that's great. But the point is to have a relationship with somebody where they say, I just love you for you. Uh, I, I don't love you for anything you're, you're going to do. I'm going, I just love you for you. So where are you at? Where, where is your faith this weekend? You say, well, I don't have a lot. Well, it doesn't matter how much you have. Where is it placed? Right? Um, are you putting um, restrictions on Jesus as to how He needs to work and how He needs to move? Are you saying you have to uh, believe a certain way and go to a certain place? and have certain, Or are you just going to say, you know, I'm just going to trust Jesus and I'm going to just follow His guidance and direction? It's an interesting parallel when we think about it. 
This father that we met in the story was on a desperate mission to save his dearly loved son. He knew that this was it. This was his only chance for this son that he loved so much. So he comes to Jesus and he pleads with him to save his son. And Jesus granted the father's request and healed his son. There was another father and he had a dearly loved son on a, uh, in a, uh, on a desperate mission to die so that we could live. This father didn't rescue his son. This father gave his son. This son was stricken with sin, our sin. His father had him, <coughs> excuse me, had to turn away in his time, his son's greatest time of need, so that we could be healed from the power of sin and the penalty of death. Jesus said to this father, He says, Go and your son will be healed. The father sent Jesus. And he wasn't healed. He was destroyed. He was executed. He was left abandoned. He died so we could live. He shed his blood so we could be forgiven. And so we always need to remember that we have somebody who says to us, I love you this much. If you ever want to know if I love you, if I care for you, I love you this much. And the best place, the only place, the safest place to put our faith is in Him. Do you have that life-giving, saving faith? If Jesus And Jesus kind of said what Blondin said that one day. Blondin basically said, how many people believe in me? And everybody raised their hand. And He says, how many will get on my shoulders? <laughs> one person got on his shoulders and believed. And Jesus says to us today, just like He said in that day, come Follow me. Our lives will determine whether we're on his shoulders or we're just watching from the crowd. And one day Jesus will say, Too many depart from me. I don't know you. And I'm sure we're going to hear people say, Wait, I believed in you. But you never trusted you never got on my shoulders. You never followed me. So, there's a lot of people this weekend all around town who believe in Jesus, believe He's God, believe He's the Savior, but they've never given their lives to Him. They've never gotten on His shoulders. They've never said, You're my only hope. You're my salvation. I will follow You. May God help us to Grow in this saving, life-giving faith. Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank You for Jesus who came. That You, Father, sent Your Son. And Your Son willingly went to a cross and gave His life for us. John gave us the story of the Father being healed so that we would see who Jesus is and why He came. He did come to heal this little boy, but He came to save a family. And the last line of the story that we read said this, the father and his whole family believed in Jesus. Father, You've given us signs. 
You've given us data. You've given us information, plenty of information. But there's an enemy that wants us to discount it, to shove it aside, and not to trust. I remember the passage, Father, where Jesus came to the disciples and basically was cutting it right to the bone about faith. And he says, will you leave me too? And Peter said, but Lord, who else could we ever turn to? And that's where our hearts are, Father. You're our only hope. You're our only Savior. We thank You and we praise You and we follow You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.